Hello and welcome back. We're here with episode 54 of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. As always, if you're looking for ways to support the series, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash airpodcast and on Instagram at at underscore airpodcast. We've also got a new semi-regular Substack newsletter, which you can sign up for at airpodcast.substack.com to stay up to date with new episodes and short essays from me. On to this month's episode, which welcomes DJs, producers, and co-founders of the Slow Life Collective, Laureen and Cecilio, to celebrate their label's 10 incredible years of existence. Comprised of a core crew featuring Loreen, Cecilio, S. Moreira, and Indie Zone, but with a community that stretches to involve DJ Tree, Primary Perception, Alex Neri, Paolo Mosca, and beyond, Slow Life are defined by their thoughtful, easygoing approach to everything from music and parties to life itself. They have quickly carved out a niche for themselves in their home base of Berlin as regular fixtures at Hopitasse and CDV, where their showcases are home to some of the best-loved DJs, pulling dancers in for hours-long sets that speak to the true meaning of the term journey. Their label acts as an expansion of their unique sound, a place for the producers amongst their group to really express themselves. For their part, Lorene and Cecilio have worked tirelessly to not only home slow life, but also explore careers as DJs and artists in their own right. Recently back from a South American tour that took them to a dozen cities across a handful of countries, they're back in Berlin and looking forward to bringing that inspiration to Hopitasse, where Slow Life will celebrate its 10-year anniversary on Saturday, 26th of March. In this conversation, we look back at Slow Life's 10 years, the collaboration at the heart of their collective, and the philosophies about life and music that drive Florine and Cecilio as artists. so much for joining me. Slow Life is one of my favorite parties here in Berlin, so I'm really looking forward to speaking with you. It's a pleasure, Emma. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to you for thinking of us. <laughs> so I want to start off with your first release on the Slow Life label, which was S. Moreira's uh, Fuck the Clock EP back in 2013, 10 years ago. At the time, you had, I think, some issues with the release that it ended up shipping after the second release. Okay, and apparently there was like this conspiracy theory on Discogs where somebody thought it was like a big PR stunt <laughs> that you guys had orchestrated. Um, I love that. So what do you remember about all of that? First, I even didn't know that there was a conspiracy theory about that. <laughs> <laughs> I should 
maybe it's the first time that I that I hear about that, or maybe really? I forgot. I don't know. It's been a decade already. Just put it out of your mind. I remember to to read something a while ago, but not exactly where. Maybe this cox. <laughs> the story has been basically that we have been scammed. Mm -hmm. uh, so we lost the entire money that we put in oh the production God. of the first record. I mean, let's, let's put a point on a scam. I mean, the pressing plan that we started to work just closed at the moment that we just got the test pressings. So we got the test pressings, right. which were awful. They were not even valid. <laughs> but then the pressing plan closed and we never got our money back and we didn't oh have any God. contract. So we were kind of a scam. I think that the, the fact that people thought that was a PR stunt is maybe a, like quite funny now, but I guess at the time you were like obviously really stressed. So what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, but basically we thought what's going to happen, we don't know, but we have to keep moving. So that's what we did. Just phone another pressing plan. We did it. Everything went in smooth and the record went out. And after that is when we started to work with different distributors with different deals and that's when the first one was finally out which also <laughs> pe most people don't know we also had issues because we got the release with the run stamps i mean the full i mean the full stock oh, they were with that with a hardcore release which are i think there, <laughs> there are even some copies around it was a disaster for twice and then finally the release came like normal that sounds really stressful. Can you talk a bit about how the release came to be? Uh, like at what point were you sort of, you were already playing together for a couple of years and then you decided to make the label? What was that story like? Actually the label and the collective came at the same time. We were hanging out as friends since, I don't know, three years more or less. Yeah. And on our side, we wanted to make parties. Then we have Sergio Moreira, who was making a lot of music and we had the name, which was Slow Life. And at some point, we just decided to put everything together, you know. Why we have to have a separate party and a separate label. We like this name, we like this concept, and that, let's just call it slow life. Everything, you know. And then with the time, uh, step by step, the, the concept started to taking shape at the beginning was a little bit confused even for us imagine you know for the public <laughs> yes because at some point you know, I remember like even people who were kind of around telling us like trying to push us in a way oh no you should be like uh, playing as a slow life I said no but the slow life is a party it's right. not the artist itself we are a collective so it took a little bit of time to get the final shape that that it took and what other kind of growing pains or sort of challenges were there in starting your own label in an event series when, I guess, uh, from what I understand, you didn't have um, so much experience with that, any of you, beforehand. Is that right? Yeah, it was everything new for us, <laughs> for all of us. I mean, we not in terms of throwing parties, we all had our things, no, before. But in terms of labels, yeah, we were completely new and... We were kind of lost at the beginning, but you know, at the end, we learned from the mistakes, you know, and mm -hmm. we, we had changes, we changed the distributors, people we were working with, you know. And at the end, it's not that we have had so many changes, and we, we have learned from all the mistakes also, so mm -hmm. it's okay. So, how did it feel to put out that first release? Like, did it feel mm -hmm. to you guys like it was the start of something really special? I mean, maybe that's different because you already had the sort of collective going and you were already playing together. Um, but what was it like to have that sort of first release in your hands finally after all these issues? Well, it definitely felt that it was the beginning of something special. But, you know, maybe everyone is thinking that when they put out their first record. So, But yes, it felt very special. But for me, one of the most special moments was when... Uh, 
I've heard Vera playing that track in oh, the first release amazing. in Hopetose. <laughs> and I remember I was just blown away. I wanted to cry. I called Sergio. I woke him up from the bed like, Sergio, listen, Vera is playing your record. So, yeah, definitely those are moments that probably they won't come back. But I still remember them. And I, I remember that they, it, was, it was a very emotional time. Which, by the way, I just wanted to point that that track that La Vera played was the awful first expressing so oh, it no. was the first actual <laughs> the slow life uh, zero, zero one you know was not the second I'm doing an interview series about artists and their sort of early records that put them on the map or their first release kind of thing and actually not a single person has said that they knew that their record would be a success or they didn't really know that it felt like something special at the time that it just kind of you know was something that they wanted to make um, but it sounds like it was a bit different for you guys to me it felt that it was the beginning of something special. I mean, definitely we knew that we had the potential to do things, you know, and and we are the first to believe in ourselves. If not, we were not doing what we are doing, honestly, because this, you know, <laughs> this industry is not, it's not easy at all. But yeah, definitely we felt that was special. And luckily also it was really well welcomed, the second one, also the first one, no? but the second one was actually like uh, played by a lot of DJs and some like sort of big names, you know, and so it definitely helped to, to push a little bit uh, ourselves. But at the end, you don't make a career or a living out of uh, one release. So we never got too excited about it. We just keep doing our thing. scene like at the time uh, in Berlin I mean it's not it's not even that long ago but um, did you feel like you had a kind of really supportive community around you definitely we we always have like a quite a strong family you know around us here core of friends and supporters that definitely has been growing within within the time no well, I mean we knew what we wanted basically mm. we wanted to throw the parties away in the places that we wanted we mm. were already our first party was in CDB which was for us like the the most important place for us in terms of growing no mm. So yeah, we basically we were where we wanted to to be. I mean, nothing else. I love what you said about CDV because I think for a lot of people within our sort of circle, CDV is like the sort of ultimate place where, you know, when you play there for the first time, it's always really special. Is that how it was for you guys playing there for the first time? It was definitely special. I remember I cried with the mm -hmm. last track that I think Francesco put at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, definitely it was special. Also, it was a different time for Credit Visionaire. We still had all the sound system. Mm -hmm. We had the U-rays. The sound limitation wasn't that tough as it is now so mm -hmm. it was definitely more enjoyable that it is now sound wise it's still special eh? yeah. it's a <laughs> but that time it was even more special yeah. regarding what you say about our the community mm -hmm. when we started i really believe that our group of friends like these 20 30 people that are coming to the party since the very beginning mm -hmm. i think they were there has been very 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 important to set the mood mm. that we have at our parties because our music and their vibe, the party is done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's the perfect match. So I really believe that they were a key factor. 
definitely. in developing the party side of, of slow life. I think you've definitely got a point because I feel like for... I'm not sure if it's like this in other places, um, but I think in Berlin there's like quite a few of these sort of Hapitasa residency parties that when you go there you know that it's going to be special. You know, the ghost, for example. Exactly. Um, the mud show also, uh, all our friends. <laughs> so I think it really makes a difference having these people that kind of come out every yes. single time that you're there and you know that it's going to be a good one. Yeah. The vibe of 30 people is going to be contagious mm. to others, mm-hmm. you know. And definitely something that we felt during these years of growing is like, the people were adding to this group. So now, I mean, the closer, closer friends are still the same number, but we have so such a big uh, group of supporters and that actually are now friends, you know, mm. that we feel like always said is like the biggest blessing that we have, you know, in terms of the party that the people kind of adds and it takes like it, its, own, its own, you know, it's like they really feel that they are part of it. And, and definitely for us is, a, is the best thing of it. So do you think that, you know, earlier we were talking about the kind of growing pains of starting a label. Um, do you feel like now after 10 years, you've kind of got things figured out in terms of what's going to resonate with people, what people are going to like, or what sound you want to make, or, you know, how everything is working? I think we never had a plan and <laughs> we will never have it. What we have is a vision. Uh-huh. You know, but we are never thinking, oh, let's make this record because it's going to sell. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know at this point when a record is going to sell or when a record is not going to sell, mm-hmm. but we don't care. Mm-hmm. We are never going to press record because they are going to sell. This is something that uh, we absolutely don't care about. We just want to release records that we think are good. Mm-hmm. Whatever the style, whatever the name. Definitely we have some planning, but it's like short-term planning. I mean, we don't have any big plans ahead. It's just like uh, in terms of releases, we sometimes we put in order, you know, just to make it sense mm-hmm. in terms of that's balance. Plan, yeah. But that's the only plan, you know. At the end, it's very organic, all the growing that we had. And, and we never were close to any ideas or any music because we like different sorts of music mm-hmm. so it's not like oh we just need this because this one is gonna sell you know you have your times where you feel also that uh, people get tired of things very easy you know we live in a life of instant everything has to be instant consumer so we never focus on that and we know there are this like a, this wave of trends and things you know and we never got excited uh, like really stressed about it of course people like when something is fresh something is new but we were here for the long term, you know, and we always had that goal, and that's why we are still alive. I spoke with the musician Chili Gonzalez. I don't know if you know him. He's a pianist. Um, a couple of years ago, and he said that even though he knows what he likes, he wouldn't ever want to like completely know what is going to be successful or what is going to be popular because then he wouldn't have that moment of discovering something or being surprised by something or having that sort of eureka moment of finding something that you really like. For you guys, is there a thrill in, you know, not the not knowing of these kinds of things? In electronic music, I kind of have the feeling what is going to be the new trend. I mean, in our scene, you know, mm. which is very limited. I have this feeling of what's gonna be the new hype uh, and normally I'm right about it Mm, I just don't care Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) what do you think about that (laughs) (laughs) I mean it's hard to say I mean definitely we are aware of what's going on and for example in my case I've always been very curious about what's going on what's happening I listen to different music even if it's not the music I like or the music I consume mostly so we can have an idea but I mean we never thought or plan anything because of that. I mean, at the end, it's like we felt that we liked something that we were offered 
we we just push it and publish it and that's basically our modus operandi. We never rejected anything because it was not going to be accepted mm. or we never pushed something extra because we thought, oh yeah, this is definitely going to sell, you know. It's definitely not on our, on our motto. I like that. And I think it's also, for some people, myself included, difficult to stick to that sometimes. Like, for example, with the podcast, sometimes I'll have a guest that I know the episode isn't going to be as popular, but it's one of the better episodes. Whereas sometimes if I have somebody on that is a really big name, it ends up being one of my least favorite episodes. So is it ever hard for you guys to kind of stay that course? At the end of the day, for us, it's also everything is very familiar. No, It's not that we, we just see, it's not that we release so many random people at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Maybe a random, but in that the approach for us was very organic and very natural. So definitely we, 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 are, we get excited also. Um, even now we are excited for maybe some future plans that we have had and people involved, but still it's excitement, but it's not anything stressful or anything like too much thought about it. So which artists whose music you've released have really surprised you in terms of what they're doing? Somebody that's doing something a bit unexpected. Um, has there been any, any moments like that? All of them. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I can say that we are proud, let's see, of everything we have put out. There's nothing that we actually regret. For me, the two key I mean, the key players definitely Sergio. I mm-hmm. mean, Sergio for us has been always like a, an inspiration in in every way. But musically, he's always been really special for us. In the la- in the later years, is for me, and I always say, is Paolo. For me, Paolo Mosca is a master of what he does, and still with a lot of space to grow and time to grow. You can see that he's very mature for for his age, you know. Mm-hmm. And and also we we share a lot of like uh, his ideas or more than his ideas, his approach to life. So that's also why we feel him like very connected to us. But beside that, I just love it. I just love the music that he does and his way, his approach to production. And it's definitely something that I feel really connected to. Paulinho Mosquinha, I love you. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, Sergio. I know that he plays, as you mentioned, a really big role in the production side of Slow Life. I think he's produced quite a few of the tracks or co-produced quite a few of the tracks that you've released. What was it about his sound that caught your ears, you know, all those years ago? I think that his sound, I mean, we co-create a little bit his sound. When uh, he arrived in Berlin, he had this uh, technical side of it, you know, already developed, but maybe he was in, in the search for the inspiration, you mm. know, to find his own personality. And I believe that in those years, at the beginning, where we were, we weren't working. Uh, we were just meeting up every day, smoking joints and just <laughs> playing, 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 playing. And Sergio wasn't playing record at the moment. So he was just there and listening and dancing. So I really believe the old of those hours helped him shape the beginning of the production in Slow Life. Within the year, I believe that he found different kind of inspiration, of course, you know, Mm -hmm. he also got way more into the organic side of music, you know, a lot of jazz, a lot of down tempo. But yes, at the beginning, definitely it was a job that we did all together, Mm -hmm. you know, to shape the sound of his production and definitely to shape the sound of our music as a collective. Mm -hmm. Actually, in an interview for RA, Mm -hmm. he said that he felt a little bit lost before he met you guys and that you all kind of helped him find out what he wanted to be as a musician of course because he he came from a super well, a super little town i don't know Sergio, don't get pissed i don't know if it's a super little it's gonna laura is gonna be canceling <laughs> Ponferrada. okay but he came from uh, a place where there is basically no electronic music culture mm-hmm. so it's normal that uh, sure. this is why also he came to berlin mm-hmm. you know he knew that here it was the right place to find what he was looking for in your 
mud show little mini documentary that you guys made you said that Sergio had this ability to kind of translate everything that you stood for like all the music that you were playing and listening to kind of ended up being sort of how he how he made the music um that, as you just mentioned uh, can you talk a bit more about that like do you think it's just natural that you know the music that you are around kind of filters into whatever you're making definitely not for everybody but I, he also at that moment especially he was really like a sponge you know he was mm -hmm. definitely like open to new sounds like inspiration I mean for example just talking about me and Laura no? uh, we were very common doing the the music that, that we liked it but also was there was variety in there you know so he was inspired and then he took what he liked it the most it's not that we shape him you know but mm -hmm. he definitely got inspired by us but also within time he got his own inspirations like Laura said and evolution itself you know and he he for example i can i can say that he's not a person that is inspired just by club music and it can be seen in his mm. uh, production since his last project and we are still also hoping that he bring us more bangers but uh, <laughs> at the end it's like he's uh he's uh, no his way of of thinking of of creating you know and and we respect him a lot for mm. that and uh, he's a master so when you listen back to that first ep these days, I don't know when the last time was that you listened to it, but do you recognize in it that kind of sound or musical philosophy that you're still promoting today? Like, does it seem like when you listen to it now, does it seem like it was the right place to kind of start things off for a slow life? Absolutely, yes. Uh, still, sometimes at uh, the Hopetose party, as we play normally in the morning, sometimes we bring some one or the third maybe. But yes, I mean, definitely we don't regret those beginning of course also we have evolved since then but definitely it was a great place to start You have talked a lot about your collective's kind of mantra over over the course of your interviews for other publications that slow life is about you know taking your time and the unhurried rhythm of evolution music as a celebration of music which i really like is it ever difficult to kind of stick to that like do you ever feel like you need to rush a bit more because of the, you know you mentioned earlier that the music industry is kind of a hard place to be um does it ever feel like you have that pressure the pressure definitely is there, but the pressure is not because of the music. It's like the day-by-day -day life, you mm. know. And and but I won't. I won't. I mean, it's a hard question. <laughs> it's a hard question. We still. I mean, I don't feel the pressure uh, in terms that I don't feel any rush. I don't feel and I, I don't have a goal to reach. We reach this point where we, are, where we are now without no plans, as I was telling you before, and we will go uh, where we are meant to go without any plan. The only plan that we have is to be authentic, you know, 
be humble and be honest with ourselves and take all our decision with the heart, not because of being greedy, not because of money, not because of exposure. We just want to keep working with promoters and artists that share our same point of view, you know, in life. Mm. So yes, this is the most important thing. And I tell you, sometimes you have to take decisions, you know, sometimes you have to say no, because... Mm, offer so places they don't match your philosophy mm. I mean what you mentioned about um, you know finding other promoters that match what you guys want to do is that a bit more rare these days would you say I always feel that I don't know if it's because we are still in a level in our career that we don't play such big festivals mm. you know but Actually, the promoters that booked us, most of the time, they are super sweet. And we always say that we feel lucky because most of them actually, uh, you can feel the love, you know, and you can feel that they call us really for the music and nothing else. Yeah, there's definitely something I want also to talk because like uh, we talk a lot, a lot about that, or I, at least myself, is like we feel so blessed, you know, that most, of, not everyone, but lots of promoters and a lot of gigs and places where we play, People are actually like even sometimes even putting their own money and it's like uh, mm. they are definitely doing for the love of music, you know, and for the respect for us. So that's something that we we would love to have a balance in the future also, no? because also we know that when you are growing, things also can be like more cold, let's say. But like Laura said, we also like to balance and sometimes it's better to be picky, you know, basically. Yeah, of course. Um, what you mentioned about growing. So in your in your RA interview, DJ Tree said, we know that if something is good, it will grow and there's no need to hurry. I, I really love that as well. And I really respect it, but I am someone who cannot think that way. <laughs> if I want something to grow, it needs to grow immediately. I have no patience for the, for the wait. I mean, is that hard for you guys? Take an example, a plant. Uh-huh. You know, you cannot plant a seed and expect it to grow immediately. Mm -hmm. This is not how nature works, you know. (laughs) So uh, I think that the same uh, reflects uh, in everything. I mean, there are things that grow immediately, but that's hype. And the most difficult things to maintain is the hype. I'm not saying that it's not possible. It's possible, but it's very rare. In my case, I've always preferred to make smaller steps but steady steps mm-hmm. but also that it wasn't a plan you know <laughs> it's just uh, mm, I never felt the need to push myself or push the collective actually if you if you see we have never done marketing basically mm-hmm. you know we just make a post when the release is out and that's all mm-hmm. so also we are not very good in that mm-hmm. uh, so maybe also that's why it took us a little bit more time to reach maybe goals that other people reached uh, faster. But again, there is no rule. You know, I think everyone just have to go with the flow. Everyone, <laughs> I think, has his own flow to follow. Because also, I don't believe that what we are saying, everyone should think the same. Sure. Because, you know, that this work for us yeah. and for our soul and for our personality. Other people have different personalities. So I think the only rule is know yourself and just go with what your heart say. Totally agree. I mean, honestly, the only thing that I had clear from the beginning is like, we're here to stay. That's the only thing that I, only my only belief, you know, that we are here to stay and if you want to stay, it doesn't matter the rhythm that you have. Sometimes it's going to be faster, so I'm gonna, but we are here to stay and that's it. 
That's a really nice goal. I think it also makes it easier or at least sort of takes the edge off of things when you're a group collective and everybody's sort of agreeing and that dynamic kind of helps to like soothe you and you know if you're ever feeling the pressure or, or something you can kind of turn to the people around you would you say definitely what you say is fundamental being a group and especially with Sergio and Santi uh, they have been really helpful for us to keep ourselves grounded because mm-hmm. they are completely outside of our scene like mm. the techno gossip as we call it <laughs> so they have helped us in the past and in the present and in the future not to be influenced you know by exterior mm. facts or mm-hmm. whatever or success or mm-hmm. success so yeah definitely is a is a i mean i couldn't have done it without the group that i have and i think this is valid for everyone of the collective but i have to say also it's not easy to be for people and be together five before and be together for 10 years yeah. i mean there are a lot of fights there are a lot of disagreement mm-hmm. but if you are mature enough and if you put your ego aside at the end you're always gonna find a compromise the goal is the same so yes here we are still i mean from a from a personal level that uh, i always say and and that definitely like being a collective and not even a collective a, a group of close friends it really helped, like like Laura said, to stay grounded. But also, from my experience, I can say that it also helped me, like, to shape myself as my person. Mm-hmm. Honestly, not even just to be a better DJ or whatever, to actually just be a better person. It happened to us, not that we had different situations where every had everyone had different views or whatever. And actually, it helped me, me to see where I was wrong, no, or how much egoistic or whatever I could have been, no, in whatever situation, no. So it definitely helped us, like, to to be a I would say like a better in a, in a, in a world. I think every relationship with others, especially when it's a love relationship or a work relationship, when it, it's, it's very it's tight, yeah, I think those relationships are a possibility for you to evolve. This is the case, definitely with our group. Talking a bit about this kind of collective dynamic, I know that actually you met DJ Tree, you said in an interview once that it was a really nice time that he came into your life because you were having a bit of a musical crisis at the time um, and he became a really fundamental figure for you. Can you talk a bit about that? I was living in Barcelona and I went to Berlin for one weekend and I say, I have to move here. It was my first time. I didn't know what was happening in Berlin. <laughs> no one knew at the time, you know, what was happening in Berlin. It was almost 15 years ago. So I decided I'm going to go to Berlin. I didn't know English, I didn't know German, so from Barcelona I say I have to go to London, you know, like a couple of months and learn some English. So I went to London and there I met DJ3. So definitely for me uh, DJ3 has been fundamental because I knew that I didn't find my place in music yet. I was very influenced for from the people that I was hanging out in Barcelona with and Definitely, I needed to uh, find myself. This is why I decided to move to Berlin. I believe that also this is why I met Francesco, because I really think that when you look for something and you look for it with an open heart, it's going to come. And when you look for it for the right reason, it's going to come. And... I think that going to London, it was meant to be, and it was meant to be that I uh, met DJ3 because that was really 
uh, key point for everything that happened later. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Francesco. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned this a bit earlier. Uh, Obviously, as a group, you have your own disagreements some of the time, I'm sure. Um, But I wonder if those disagreements also help you learn, like maybe it helps you I don't know, see your point of view a bit differently or makes you question why you're thinking the way that you're thinking? I mean, definitely. And Laura is going to expose it better than me. But I just wanted to say that uh, sometimes, thanks to the disagreements, uh, it's like things uh, shape it in mm. better, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like th- or things were pushed in a room. No? Not because uh, something had was right, because just something had, someone had something extra to say, you know? I think you learn more from disagreement than from agreement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So when you have this kind of uh, mind setup, you're always going to learn. I mean, in the moment, in the disagreement, sometimes it's tough. <laughs> I mean, we are Latin and we are, we have, <laughs> we are quite a um, fire, no? Fire people, I would say. So, yeah. But yeah, definitely I have learned a lot from this agreement. I have learned that everyone has his own point of view mm-hmm. and uh, there is uh, no truth. And, you know, there is the truth, but in this case, like in a collective, it's just opinion, you know. Mm. It has been definitely helpful uh, uh, as self-growth and also being more patient, which I lack of sometimes. <laughs> Another dynamic I want to talk a bit about is... I guess like an aspect of sort of healthy competition between you guys like is it does that come into it you know when you want to play the best set or find the best record or whatever else I talked about it before that it's definitely this like healthy competition uh, when we started it helped a lot because it's like imagine at least from the from the DJ side of of the collective no because we were like oh look I found this record oh I found this bomb it's like so we were all pushing each other, you know, in terms of like, finding more music, like finding the, the biggest bomb or the, the, the most special record. I, I took it as a, as a positive thing. And, and I also knew that it was positive because I already heard it from like successful, for example, hip hop uh, collectives, you know, that they were actually shaping each other mm-hmm. with, their, with their rhymes, with their bars, you know, because of just getting inspired by your partner. You know? So definitely I see that, that something key was like a strength for us. Yeah, I never, I never felt it as a competition, but as a motivation, you know. Definitely. When I see that uh, Cecilio this past month is finding a lot of records, it's like, <laughs> oh, I need to look more, you know. I don't want Cecilio to have more record, new, new record than me. <laughs> so definitely for me is a, is, is, a, is a motivation, you know, not mm-hmm. a competition at all. I mean, healthy competition can be a synonymous of motivation. Don't make me feel the, like the, the bad boy here, you know? <laughs> Accepted. Still, for me, it's a motivation. Do you find that you guys are learning from each other in a technical sense? I, for example, I interviewed Matthew Johnson for this series a couple episodes ago, um, and he said that with Cobblestone Jazz, because they're improvising every time that they play live, it's really like feeding off of each other and learning from each other. And um, every time they go on stage, there's something new that they learn because it's always kind of like working with each other uh, in this live setting can be really intense, but also a really good learning experience. So is that similar for you guys with DJing? Do you feel that you're kind of, um, you know, learning from each other in a, in a technical sense at all or? I mean, in the DJ technical sense of it, maybe not as much because at the end of the day, we are not on tablets, no? Mm-hmm. We just play records mm-hmm. and we like to flow, which is something that you cannot be taught. It's just the feel in the moment and put the right music. In terms of sound or flow, definitely mm-hmm. we we have inspired each other. And for example, I can talk to from me and Laura, no? We, we play a lot together and, mm-hmm. 
and it's something that we took serious from the day one and and we definitely help each other in terms of like understanding what like the mood needs or the intensity that you 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 seek or where you're gonna go and make it with the like the most sense possible you know and then in, i mean in terms of sound for example is sergio the person that we respect the most and and for the level, for example, speaking, he's the one in charge of all the technical mm. side of it. If we ever had any issues with whatever, it's going to be Sergio, the one is going to be answering this, those those questions. And I guess it's a bit different with DJing because I, I, I am not a DJ, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of feel like there's a limit to what you can learn in terms of how to play a record. Like there's only so many ways to do it. I believe that what we learn the most is, as Cecilia said, the flow, mm-hmm. the intensity, how we st- the 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 the, uh, the trip that we make, how we start and how we finish. Actually, every time when I finish a set alone or with Cecilio, and I maybe arrive to the hotel, I always start to think, okay, what could I have done better? Mm. And I start to think, ah, maybe that record I shouldn't have put that record, or oh, I should have waited a little bit more for that other record record. so definitely for me every dj set that we make uh, is a learning point for the next one sometimes i'm even a little bit too (laughs) yeah sometimes she has to definitely get looser you know because like uh, sometimes what you feel is not what actually was felt not in the situation but that's good i think that's a really positive thing for us like to be very self-critic with ourselves for me it's very important to put the right record in the right moment Mm -hmm. and also the right record after (laughs) the previous record so every record (laughs) in the right right moment (laughs) but but definitely i mean technical side of it i'm i mean we definitely like have for literal ways of mixing records no but it's not uh, honestly i don't think that that science is like that big when you Mm -hmm. are like a club dj you know there are different sorts of mixing but they are all very similar and definitely you can play a different record different ways depending on the intro whatever yeah. if, whatever no but for me, i always say that for me the technical digits are the turntables no that's where the techniques and you have lots of names of different techniques but as a club dj there are not many you mentioned playing the right record at the right moment so is something that helps with that having the opportunity to play really long DJ sets, for example, at CDV and Hopatasa, um, when you do your showcases, I feel like you get the chance to explore a bit more deeply. Totally. I mean, the experience that we had in our in our own party, I always said, has been the biggest school. Actually, we always call it like our own lab because <laughs> it's actually where we have experienced the most, where we have played records. There are so many records that are actually like fab favorite records that they have only been able to play in a solo live party. Because of the long sets, mostly, where you have more time, but also because of the situation for those records. And it definitely, but for me, I, I can say from my personal experience, I always said, and I was talking to a friend recently about it, it's like where I learned the most in my beginnings was not playing in like when they were giving me one, two hours in a bar. It's of when course. I was taking my, my equipment and I was playing on a wall night for my friends. That's where my first like uh, solid like uh, learnings, no? about how to move a, a crowd, the intensity, when to change the, the music, change the mood, you know. So definitely having our own lab, let's say, has shaped us a lot um, for the best. So what is it that happens during a very long DJ set that doesn't happen during a two-hour set? Like, is it something tangible or is it just that you can afford to kind of take your time and really go deeper? I has like an instant thought about it. It's like, it definitely is like why also related to a slow life, no? It's like not being pushing to arrive to certain record mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. you have you can have more like a natural reading to it no like a, when you're playing like shorter set you are more forced like okay now we change to well, mm-hmm. we give me more pick oh now we have to close 
So when you have more times, you go more with the flow, you, you flow more naturally. So th at the end, that's why I think that it's like a, I wouldn't say a better, but it's like a definitely a more special experience for everyone, mm -hmm. not even just for us, for the people involved also. Also, when you have like five or six hours, at some point you reach a state of flow that you cannot reach with two hours, not even in three, I would say. Mm. So that's also very special. Uh, me, after, um, I don't know, the fourth or even the fifth hour, uh, you reach a point when you, you, you just don't think. You just look at the record back and you know exactly which record you're gonna put. Uh, it's like, it's completely, uh, uh, you have an instinct de developed that I think is the most special thing for me. The flow state that I got into when I, we do this five, six hour set. And this is why we always close Hopetose together mm -hmm. because otherwise we couldn't have the possibility to play six hours. It could have been like three hours Cecilio and three hours me and it's not the same. For you guys to play here in Berlin, uh, I know that for other friends of mine whose home bases are also here, it's really special to come home uh, to that. Like regardless of how how good the gigs are in other countries or other clubs, it's always really special for them to come back here play at Hopitasa, for example. Definitely, it's special, mostly because they like said it feels like home and you have a lot of like uh, friends coming to you. But the thing is that for us, at least for me, I guess also for Lara, my favorite experience, my favorite sets have been actually at, at our own party you know, in the show life. Mm -hmm. Mostly because of the freedom, but also because of the joy, because of the people involved, you know. Sure. Honestly, we don't play that much in Berlin, which is, I think, is a positive thing also, because also you, people, I mean, it's not that we change our record back every week, so definitely it's better to have like extended time between sets here in town, so people mm -hmm. can also get to enjoy, you know, and put them like fresher music to them. And, and But at the end of the day, it's like, mm, to do something really special, like I said, we need like longer sets and 
that's not the case every time. <laughs> so <laughs> not even because of being in Berlin, it's like every set is like six hours. It's not that we want to be every mm -hmm. gig six hours, no, definitely <laughs> you will get burned. But yeah, I mean, it's always nice to play mm -hmm. in your hometown. So would you say that your showcases here in Berlin are the place where you can most fully and freely express yourselves as musicians? Yes, but it's not that in other countries or clubs we don't feel that freedom. Mm. The thing is that here in Berlin, we managed to play from seven in the morning until one mm -hmm. in the afternoon. <laughs> so this is, you know, a, and also in Hopetose with the light coming in, you know, is the environment is so perfect for what we want to do that this kind of uh, uh, places, they don't, they don't exist around or, or if they exist, you know, it's not, <laughs> it's not very common. So uh, this is why we believe and we feel that is the most special is our showcase because of the places and the time and but it's also, I, I mean, it's, it doesn't mean that it's like an easy thing to do. It's mm -hmm. definitely a challenge, but it's a really nice challenge, you know, because at the end, it's, most of the people are living <laughs> on those part, in every party by that time, you know, but it's like definitely what makes it really special at the end is because it's like the people who are staying are the people who actually want to stay like sure like they can't leave no it's not mm -hmm. that it does it's not that they want it's that they can't leave no so that's where actually i think helps to create those like special moments so what can you remember about the first low life showcases were they already taking place at hopetos at the very beginning at the beginning it was in cdv because actually hopetos was not still active it was like uh, in the process they were doing some parties but what knows gregor was not involved the owner of cdv oh, wow. So, uh, so as soon as Hobetose uh, started, we were already part of the CDB environment mm. or parties, let's say. So we we took our, our our place also. But yeah, it was CDB at the beginning for us, and I have a really good memory of the first one. It was actually a Monday, and they actually don't, they didn't even expect to have that many people during <laughs> the day. I mean, I remember I remember specifically the queue for getting a drink. <laughs> it was massive queue. I have a good memory of it. It was mm. a definitely a nice one. Apart from Hopetos and CDV, we had for a couple of years, I think, one uh, showcase uh, per year at home. We loved it, but we felt that we m missed the morning part because at 8 in the morning, sure. home is closed because, you know, it's very dark and it's a little bit difficult to uh, stay there more than the time, you mm -hmm. know. You don't, you don't it's recharge. Small, it's very small yeah. also. It's also yeah. very small, sadly. So we decided that... Uh, to stop making party there because of that because for us the most important thing is the morning part so definitely. but yeah definitely good memory in home do you think anything has changed in terms of how you're running the events or how you're setting them up or what your goals are <laughs> the only thing that has changed in 10 years is when we started to open the chill out all the rest is the same actually yeah definitely nothing has changed i mean one thing also that i saw like a sex strength in our parties let's say is that we never needed like a big name or anything i mean mm. definitely you can have a big name but it came because, at the, for example, Alex for us is the biggest name we ever had. But at the end, he's a friend of us, no, Alex Neri. So it's not that uh, nothing has changed. We are just still like uh, bringing people that we like and that we support in a way, and that we f we think that they can suit, no, or we can they can bring a spice to to our parties, no. But <laughs> it's the same philosophy. I don't think that is going to be changing in the no. future. During one of your past interviews, you had somebody had asked you. Um, about the artists that inspire you and you had this sort of big list of artists that you like but you also said that eventually you know you heard this quote that said to grow up the myths must fall <laughs> and you really took that to heart and you became you know more inspired by your friends and your peers and I really like that can you talk a bit about that 
I think I said that because uh, it's something yeah. I, I relate a lot to. Uh, it's something also I remember I, I listened to one of my favorite rappers back in the day. And it's like, it's true. It's like um, to for your own growth or the myths and all the legends have to fall. I mean, from the pedestal, you know, so mm-hmm. it's definitely not something that we force it. It's like it came natural. And at the end, it's like, luckily, I don't have any idols in the industry. I have for me people that I respect the most, you know, which are, can be DJs or can be producers mm-hmm. because they really inspire me bigger than anyone else in a certain moment of my life no but nowadays honestly i don't have any idol or any people that is i consider not human <laughs> <laughs> at the end the people i inspire the most are like laura said and we always said it's like the people around us that we're gonna stick to it and uh, but honestly it's not something that is sick it's, it's how it comes you know it's like i cannot force it <laughs> yeah i mean i really love that and i find it true for myself as well you know often when people ask me what I'm listening to more often than not, it's music from close friends. Do you think that that helps keep you grounded in a way? It's not con. If it happens, it's not conscious, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that it helps to he- keep grounded. At the end, it's just as maybe a meaning that you are grounded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no more than than yeah. that help, you know. So in your Mud Show documentary, um, I can't remember who it was, but towards the end, everybody was talking about what slow life means to them. And somebody said that slow life is sort of everything in their life, like everything that they do and create and think about uh, is kind of part of the mission of slow life. It's kind of just like everything is revolving around that. And I think it must be so nice to have something that you're so passionate about. I mean, the things that we are so invested, so passionate, but at the end, we are not obsessed with it. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of like, uh, for example, like Laura said, we we don't push the marketing, we don't push anything. So we could definitely could be be doing more in terms of that, no, Mm -hmm. but... (laughs) We could be attached like to because of whatever, no attitude from part of the collective or myself, for example, you have to speak. It's definitely something that we always have present and, and I, that's why I think it's very important no? because at the end, it's the priority, I would say. That's what makes it more important. Mm-hmm. It's a priority. For example, I keep saying that uh, for me, the, my favorite part is through life. And I always want to have something like a special. For example, when that anniversary is like, we, I have been thinking about this party for such a long time because <laughs> it's like, and because it's something that it's really special for me, you know, and, and I want to make like the best experience out of it you know, and some, make something remarkable, you know. So definitely we put our hearts into it and, and that's it, that reflects, I think. Yes, as you say, it's not that we are obsessed, but definitely, especially for me, that I am like general secretary and, and for Santi, <laughs> we are the most uh, hard worker in all the technical side. It's something that I have to be present, that I have to, to, to keep in mind every day, mm-hmm. because every day there is something to do, an email to write, a podcast to upload or whatever thing. Mm-hmm. So it's something that as soon as I wake up in the morning, I think, okay, there is something to do with slow life today. Then it's not that my life is revolving around it, you know. <laughs> I didn't mean it in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely, I, I have other things also in life that motivates me, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's everyday present and it's definitely also an inspiration to a motivation to keep doing what we are doing with the music, you know. I just want to say I didn't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> I also think it's okay to have a healthy obsession. <laughs> I agree with that. So what are your hopes for the label and the event series and your collective in the future? Like, where do you think or hope this project will take you in the coming years? I just hope that we can continue evolving because everything is evolving and is changing all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't know 
where it's gonna take us but I hope it's gonna be a happy place mm-hmm. and a place of love <laughs> and as Cecilia say I, I hope we're here to stay and slow life is here to stay for a long time You've been listening to Lorene and Cecilio for AIR episode 54. We'll be back on the last Wednesday of the month, so check back in April for another episode. As always, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash airpodcast and on Instagram at at underscore airpodcast. You can also sign up for our semi-regular Substack newsletter at airpodcast.substack.com. See you next month and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.